0: The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission? To make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. We're gonna be in Acts chapter thirteen this morning. Acts chapter thirteen. We start in verse one. I think the slide says we're gonna be one through thirteen. That's a little overly ambitious. We're gonna make it through verse three today. So chapter thirteen, verse one. We're gonna be talking about effectiveness. Nobody wants to be ineffective, right? Nobody wants to do anything that's really not really effective. I remember in high school, uh, teachers assigning busy work. And I remember thinking, this is the dumbest thing in the world. I do not want to just do work just to do work. I want to have a purpose and a meaning behind it, right? And I remember uh, going to college and thinking, well, at least now in college, that won't be the case, right? Because in college, people are like taking it seriously and you're adults and you don't need busy work. But that is not true in college. They give you busy work too. And I hated it. So, uh, I do remember uh, a few years ago, uh, I... Beck and I, we were on a, a golf cart, and this deal came up to where you guys know the Pea Patch and Groves. It closed down, it used to be the little nine hole golf course on Monroe and Groves. It closed down. When it closed down, they uh, got rid of all their golf carts. Well, if you've ever been to the Patch, you know that most of the stuff uh, that was there was pretty old. And so the golf cart that we got was pretty old and it was battery powered. And so, uh, but it was still really cool. I got it for really cheap and I decided I was going to buy it and then I was going to turn it into this really awesome machine. And so I actually have a picture of it up here from before and after. So it started off as that white golf cart. And then when I got done with it, I turned it into the Batmobile because why not, right? Um, and so I spent a whole lot of time, a whole lot of energy, a whole lot of investment. And uh, since Becca's in here, some money uh, to make it look cool like that. But I never really dealt with the fact that it didn't really run. (laughs) So uh, it was not really doing the job that it was created to do, right? I could get it to run sometimes, but, but it had this major like electrical issue in it to where it wouldn't really like go very far. So I could get it to go a little ways uh, and, and drive around the house a little bit. But after about 10 minutes, it was like the bad, one of the batteries were bad or something, and it just totally died on me. And so I never, I had spent so much money like making it look cool, that I didn't have enough money to buy the batteries. And so uh, I ended up selling it to a friend who had lots of money, and was able to make it run. Uh, but, but it wasn't effective, right? I, I spent a lot of money to make it look really good on the outside, but I did not really focus on the fact that I wanted it to actually do what it was created to do, which is to go. And so my question this morning for us as we kind of get going into this text here in a moment is, is are we effective? The church in 2020 are we effective? Are we doing what we were created to do? And so that begs the question, what exactly were we created to do? Why did Jesus establish the church? What was his purpose for the church? What was the mission for the church? And we've been in Acts for a really long time now. And so I would hope that by this point, we understand what the mission of the church is, and that is to make disciples, right? Our purpose as a church, our Our goal, what we're aiming ourselves at in everything that we do is to make disciples. That is the focus of our church. That's the focus of, should be the focus of all churches, is to make disciples. And so, since that's our goal, where is our focus? Are we focused on how many people show up in attendance? Well, with coronavirus, I would hope not. Are we focused on people's lives really being changed for the gospel? and then mentoring them and growing them in Christ so that they become, to themselves, disciple-makers. That is what we are aiming at as a church, and I hope that that is what you are aiming at as a church. So then the question becomes, again, are we effective? Are we being effective for the gospel? And so in our text this morning, we're going to look at a church that is an incredibly effective church for the gospel. A very effective church is the church... Of Antioch, and so what do we know about the church of Antioch? Well, a couple weeks ago, um, we kind of a little bit skipped over a portion of, of the text in Acts chapter 11. So we're going to go back there, where it kind of talks a little bit about the church of Antioch. So Acts chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you can flip a page or two back, and or if you have your little app, just swipe it a couple of times, uh, and then let's look at verse 19. It says. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen now remember Stephen Is martyred for the gospel, right? He's preaching the gospel and it's become very offensive to the religious leaders of the time and so he is stoned to death and Because of that his persecutors become emboldened Right and they start really heavily persecuting the church and so the church scatters and so as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, they made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But we remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, or I guess it was last week, Julian preached uh, about the fact that they uh, started preaching to Gentiles as well. So Antioch, uh, but there were some of them men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus so here's the beginning of this church in Antioch this persecution spreads them into Antioch they start preaching the gospel to the Jews first then to the Greeks and a church is born it goes on it says the Lord's hand was with them we should envy that, right? We, we should want God's hand moving in and through us because that's the only way that we'll ever be effective. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reaches the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he traveled and saw, uh, saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So you have this church that's born out of persecution. And then people taking the mission seriously, they start making disciples, and this church starts to blow up really quickly. But they're intentional about discipling these people, right? It says that they were teaching them this large number of people. And so this church church really starts moving. So the church at Antioch, they're the first, they're the the beachhead of Christianity in the pagan world. They're kind of like the beginning of the gospel being spread and they are an incredibly missional church they're focused on spreading the gospel out as far as it'll go and so like it says here is where believers are first called Christians this is the first time we see Christian in Scripture and so here's the point that I want to make over that is that obviously these people were radically different and they needed a term to identify the fact that these people are different. Right? These people are different than everybody else. They act different. They love different. They care for people differently. And so we need, we need to identify these people. We need a word to describe these people because there is no other word to really describe the fact that these people are radically different from everybody else. These are Christians. They are Christ followers. Jesus said, you'll know my, you'll know my disciples by how you love one another. So, What we're going to be talking about this morning is what were the characteristics that made the church at Antioch so effective? What were the things about this church that made them so effective for the gospel? So in our text this morning, here's what it says. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. All right. So here's some characteristics. So we're going to have three characteristics this morning and then that's it. We're done. So first characteristic we see is that they had spiritual leaders. They had spiritual leaders. What does it say? It says now they're We're in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, a lifelong friend of Herod, and uh, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So there's these people within the church who have decided that they're going to start investing in other people, right? There's spiritual leaders within the church who said, I'm going to invest in other people. I'm going to multiply myself so that we can really start to make some disciples. Um, We have four kids at home. And... uh, I remember like we had the first two and then there was like a four-year break between the first set and then the second set. They're not twins, but they're really close. And uh, we went from like the potty stuff was over and all like to starting back over from scratch. And I remember thinking like we're never gonna get to a point where we have freedom in life ever again, right? But now they're all, the younger two are basically the same ages as, the older two were when the younger two were born and so we're getting to the point where the older two are really awesome so i remember for a long time it was always dinner time was all right everybody sit down we're gonna make you pl- make your plate for you we're gonna put out your drink and to get everything ready and, and when they're really little you're you're giving the bottle and you're feeding them food and for whatever reason when you put the food in their mouth you feel like you have to open your mouth too right everybody you know that right you're like, like that i don't want everyone anyone to ever video me doing that because it's incredibly embarrassing but You know you go through those stages they're a baby you feed them a bottle and uh we were terrible parents we like propped it up on a pillow because it gets really annoying holding it right and then and then it goes to the baby food stage and then it goes to the putting little pieces of food you got to cut it up really small when they're little and then uh, now you know as they get older they can start feeding themselves and now it's to the point where the older two literally the other day cooked dinner for our whole family yeah praise jesus hallelujah right someone back there knows exactly what we're talking about the older two got together and they cooked spaghetti and it wasn't gross it actually tasted decent edible no it was good and, and I, in that moment i looked at back and I, I was like we have arrived this is the point in our lives the rest is smooth sailing right they they are cooking for the entire family so so there's this st- this progressive you know maturing and growing and 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 you start with the the bottle and you move to the spoon fed and then you to the point to where now they're feeding me right and it'll pro- eventually progress to well, they'll have to spoon feed me and change my diaper too right eventually it'll get to that point But here's the point, an effective church is inevitably going to be led by godly men and women, people who have grown to a point spiritually to where they can push away from the table and start to use their gifts to develop other people, right? It should always be a point to where you're growing spiritually, right? You start off in that infant stage and someone is hand-feeding you the, the word, right? But eventually you get to a point to where you push away from the table And you start to prepare meals for other people right and you start to serve other people first peter 4 verse 9 says this be hospitable to one another what does that mean we should be a people who are focused on serving others without complaining just as each one has received a gift listen you've been given a miraculous gift, something you absolutely don't deserve. Use it to serve others as good's as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Listen, you've been given the grace of God and now your responsibility as you mature and grow in Christ is to turn around and start to feed other new believers. That is how this thing is supposed to work. If it doesn't work this way, it's not effective. It won't grow. If we don't have people who push away from the table and choose to serve, then what happens to these new believers? They never mature. We have to be a church who is willing to push away from the church or push away from the table. Church is not a community of consumption. It's a community of contribution. We don't come here to consume a sermon and, and, and some good music and enjoy a Bible study and think I'm being fed. I'm being fed. That's great. But at some point push away from the table and start to feed someone else. That's the call of the gospel on your life is to serve. You come in as a spiritual infant being fed by those who have chosen to serve but at some point you have to step away from the table and start contributing to someone else's spiritual growth. You have to have spiritual infants that you disciple and that you are their spiritual parent. I remember as a kid growing up in this church, many, many people investing in my life from the point to when I was, an, I don't remember this, but from the point when I was an infant in the nursery, right? ladies who for decades, served in the nursery, loving on babies, to the point to where you move up into children's church and you have people like Jeff McKinnon who are still over there teaching children's church and he taught me children's church. I don't want that to be any indication of how old he is, but <laughs> but the man has given decades to investing in children. People like James Richardson, who was my Sunday school teacher, who invested in me, teaching me the Bible, teaching me how to memorize the books of the Bible. The man's still over there teaching young kids. Youth workers who have been doing this for decades, still investing in teenagers. People like Stephen Hayes, who chose to really invest in me and and teach me Uh, music and how to play guitar and and how to play keyboards and how to lead worship and and really investing in my life. All the way up through my life, there's been men and women who have chosen to step away from the table and start to invest in other people. And without that, our church is never going to be effective. We need people who are willing to acknowledge that at some point, you reach a spiritual maturity level to where it's time to start serving. And let's be honest, there's never a point where you feel like, man, I'm, I am to the point now where I am the most spiritually mature person and I'm ready to feed everyone, right? You, if you get to that point there, then you have a pride problem. But you step away and serve because God has said to do that and he will equip you to do what he calls you to do. That's what discipleship should really be about, right? For, for forever we've talked about discipleship as a church, right, people, people, the church as a whole all over America has talked about discipleship, discipleship, discipleship is so important. Well, what is discipleship? That's exactly what it, just people pushing away and saying I'm gonna take the, 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 the ownership, I'm gonna take ownership of someone else's spiritual development, right? Just like I'm responsible for the, the growth of my children to make sure that they grow and they do what they're supposed to do. I was outside talking to our neighbor yesterday. We've got Carter who's 11, and, and he is now mowing the grass, which again, thank you Jesus, right? We are, we are such a great point in life. But he's outside mowing grass, and, and we're talking to this little old lady across the street, and, and she is, she's bragging on the fact that, that we are making Carter mow the grass, which, like, that's just a given to me. I don't want to do it, and so I have this slave that I can make do it right now. I'm just joking. I'm not really joking. Uh, And so, we make him, Mo Grass, whatever, and, and we were talking about it and I was just telling her, like, you know, I want him to grow up and, and have work ethic. I want him to grow up and, and do stuff and, and, and be responsible. And I remember as a kid, like, being upset with my dad all the time for making me do the same kind of stuff. But now that I'm on this side, I greatly appreciate the fact that he instilled that in me, right? He took ownership in me as his son. I've taken ownership in my children because they're my children. That is what discipleship is, it is you, as people who have grown in Christ, saying, you know what? I'm going to take the responsibility for someone who else, who, who is young in the faith, and I'm going to help them grow. And if we don't have that, listen to me, if we don't have that, our church is not going to be effective. It's not. If you people, and myself, and Julian, and, and all of us as a congregation do not start to accept responsibility for the spiritual maturity of other people, our church will never grow. goes on verse two they had spiritual leaders but they also had a spiritual focus first part of verse two says while they were worshiping the lord and fasting what are they doing when this call comes they're worshiping and fasting right they're they're intensely focused on god and his glory listen worship is for god and it's to god and he should always be the object of our worship God should always be the object of our worship. He should be the one who our affections are being stirred for when we meet together. That's why we meet. We meet together to lift up the name of God, to worship him for his glory, to worship him for who he is, and he should always be the object of our worship. Psalm 29.2 says this, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to his name. Listen, all glory is due to his name, his name alone. Worship the Lord in splendor, in the splendor of his holiness. God is holy. He's perfect. And we as believers have chosen, we've looked at the reality of the world that we live in and we've said, I believe that the word of God is true. And I believe that God is the creator of all things, the one who we should submit our lives to. And we've surrendered our life for salvation, right? We've said, God, I make you the Lord of my life. I surrender myself to you. And when we do that, we should recognize that all worship is due to him and nothing else in life. God alone is worthy of our worship. There is no one or nothing else worthy of our unbridled affections. Listen, yourself, you're not worthy of that. Your children, they're not worthy of that. Your job, it's not worthy of that. Your house, your car, your money, nothing else is worth of that, worthy of that. That's why we gather, to corporately focus our worship on the glory and majesty of God. Several years ago, I was getting ready for a Sunday morning student ministry stuff and and we're you, know, you come in you're starting to turn tvs on you get everything going you get music going so kids coming in there's like a cool atmosphere right so dorky but we uh we, we get it all together and i'm waiting for people to start to show up and this new family walks in and so i was like all right cool new family i'm gonna go talk to them so i go talk to them and carry on a conversation and, and they said something to me that drives me up the wall when i hear this Okay, so if you've ever said this to me, it drove me up the wall, and I may not have said anything to you in the moment. But here, here, here's what, what, what they said Man, we're, just, we're just checking out some churches in the area. We're just kind of see, see what you guys have to offer us. Yeah, here's what I wanted to do, right? But I didn't. I love them in Jesus, right? Now, I, uh, that, that drives me up the wall because here, here's the truth church is not a commodity it's not what we do together is not something that you shop for and if that is your attitude then then god is not the object of your worship if your attitude is i'm going around looking at churches to see what they can give me then it's not a heart of worship not for god at least none of this is about you or your enjoyment none of this Is about you or whether you enjoy it or not. And if you show up with that kind of heart, then you're showing up with a heart of worship for yourself, not a heart of worship for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. People make decisions on where they'll go to church because of the music, right? I'm going to pick my church whether they have traditional music or I'm going to pick my church based on whether they have modern music. I like modern music and so I'm going to go to that church or I like traditional music and I'm going to go to that church. What are we making our decisions based off of? how we feel about something is that worship to god no it's worship to yourself and your enjoyment and what you like i've heard people say well you know i just worship better when the music's like this again who's it about if the style of music determines your worship it's not about god it's about you let's be honest Let's be honest about the reality of what we're talking about here. If, if, if that is what determines how you worship, then it's about you. We find ourselves thinking, man, I really like this song. Well, when we should be thinking, is I really love the person that this song is about. People shop churches based off of the preaching, not the content of the preaching whether or not they were entertained by it, right? Man, that dude, he's he's really good. He keeps me engaged. He's really entertaining. He's got really good stories. Again, what's it about? People make their decisions based off of whether the children's ministries or the student ministries are entertaining their kids. Do they have enough events for my kid? Do they have cool paintings on the wall or all this stuff that'll attract my kid in. What's it about? When did church become all about how we feel about what we consumed on a given Sunday? When did it come about that? It's not about us. What we do here every Sunday it's not about us, it's about God. It's about proclaiming the glory and the grace and the love and the mercy of the God that we have all chosen as believers to give ourselves to. So let's not focus on all this other stuff. Let's not worry about what kind of music is playing, let's not worry about whether we were entertained by the sermon, yes, let's worry about whether the gospel was preached and it was doctrinally sound, yes, but, but let's, let's not focus on how we feel about things and let's focus about, focus ourselves on was God glorified? Did we glorify God by our worship in this service this morning? That's the question we should be asking ourselves when we walk out that door. There are churches all over the world that have decided to cater to popular opinion and it's because we as believers have stopped worshiping God and started worshiping ourselves. An effective church will be focused intently, intensely focused on worshiping God. In Revelation 2, we see God's indictment on the church of Ephesus. In verse 2, he says, I know your works, your labor, your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil people. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and, and you found them to be liars. I know that you've persevered and endured and hardships, uh, endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you've not grown weary. So I'm sure as, as the church at Ephesus is hearing this, they're like, we got it. We're awesome, right? They're, they're hearing this and they're thinking, all these check marks, we're good. But then, then God says this, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Listen, the indictment for the church at Ephesus was not their lack of work. They were diligently working to, 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 to grow their church. The indictment wasn't their lack of discernment, right? They, they're seeing, hey, that's false teaching and we should not do anything with that. Their, their, the indictment wasn't even that they were, you know, not preaching against sin or not recognizing sin, right? He says, you saw evil people and you called them out. So they're, they're doing ministry. They're doing church by our standards in a really awesome way. But God says this, he says, you've left your first love. You're doing it just to do it. You're not doing it because you're worshiping me. Your focus is not on me, it's on your own advancement. And I think the same can be said about many Christians today. Church has become so much about just checking a box, just fulfilling your religious duty, and the heart of worship is gone. And listen, for us to be effective, That cannot be true, folks. If we want to be effective this morning, if we want to be a church that that God is using to change Southeast Texas and the world around us, it can't be about us. If it is, what's it worth? Nothing. Nothing. This is not about us, it's about him. It's all for his glory. An effective church realizes that and everything they do stems from that intense focus, right? If we have this intense focus on the glory and the love of God, what are we gonna do? We're gonna wanna share that with the world around us, right? We're going to want to make disciples. We're going to want to serve him. If he's the focus of our worship, if he's the the focus of our affections and and everything that we're doing is stemming out of a love for God, then we're good. And God will use that and he'll bless that. If God is the object of our affections, it changes everything we do. Corporately, yes, but also individually in our own hearts. If God is the object of your affections, then everything about your life will be viewed through that lens of does this glorify my God? Does my marriage glorify my God? Does my finances glorify my God? Does, does how I live my life, every decision that I make, the things that I watch, the things that I consume, how I raise my kids, everything about life is viewed through that lens of is God glorified? That's worship. It's not the songs that we sing. That's part of it. It's not the sermons that we hear in, in, in enjoying that. It, it is 100% an intense focus on the glory and the majesty of God and our affections being stirred for him. That is worship. And that's done in how we live our life. And so these people had spiritual leaders. They had a spiritual focus. And then finally, they had a spiritual mission. The second part of verse two the verse three, it says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The object of your worship will determine your mission in life. Whatever you're worshiping, that's going to determine what your mission in life is, right? If, if, if you are the object of your worship, then you determine your mission. And it'll be self-absorbed. It'll be about living your life for your money and fame and, and building your own kingdom Comfort, entertainment, those kinds of things. But if God is the object of your worship, then he determines our mission, right? If you're worshiping God and he's the object of our worship, then that leads us towards his mission in life. And what is his mission in life? To make disciples, right? It's this full circle thing. We're called to make disciples. That's the mission, to build his kingdom, And our intense focus on worshiping him leads us to do that that we live our lives to make disciples so when we're at work yeah we're earning money for our family and that's important but while we're there we're thinking about making disciples and while we're at the 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 family get uh, gathering if there's any lost members within the family what's our focus yeah we're eating turkey and having a good time at thanksgiving but what's our focus our focus is making disciples and On a Thursday night when you're exhausted and and, and the neighbor says, hey, come on over. And you're like, I don't want to. If you're living on God's mission, what is the answer? Absolutely, because I'm focused on making disciples. Right? The mission is making disciples. In everything in life, you're focused on making disciples. I'm raising my kids, what am I raising? Little disciples right everything is about making disciples because that is the mission and listen when we're focused on the mission we're willing to sacrifice for the mission right if it's something that we're really like it's a real mission something that we're really prioritizing in our life and it's 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 what our lives are focused on then the reality is we're willing to sacrifice for that several years ago we, uh, I was leading worship or helping lead worship at this event, and uh, it was like one of these community events where like a bunch of churches get together and they put on this big event, and uh, and apparently we did not filter the event very well, and uh, and so we're up leading worship and the worship ends and this guy gets up and preaches and he's actually this like huge buff ex football player he used to play for the Patriots when they went to the Super Bowl whatever one time it was uh and, and he's this big old guy he's a christian he, he's preaching the gospel and, and then he kind of gets into some like weird stuff and he starts preaching a little bit of false theology false doctrine and, and uh at this point we're already on the stage playing the imitation music and we're like right like oh my gosh I'm about, what do i do i'm behind this dude like i don't know how to deal with this And he starts to do that thing where like some, I don't know if you've ever been at an event where the preacher's like, I know somebody's in here that needs to make a decision today. They need the gospel and we're gonna stay here all night until someone comes down here and accepts Jesus. You ever been one of those where the invitation is three times longer than the sermon? Yeah, that's what this was. And we're up there just playing four chords over 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 and over and over and over and over and over again to the point my hands are like starting to cramp up and i'm like oh gosh is this dude ever just gonna hang it up nobody's coming down like all these people it was like a christian event like everybody here is christian it was like i don't know if you guys remember like back a couple years ago there was this big ordeal where Koontz cheerleaders were holding up verses and someone tried to sue them over it and then they held this big like we're american and we're not going to allow that rally in in that's exactly what it was so everybody there is professing christians nobody's coming down and everybody's a little bit like overwhelmed by some of the stuff the guy said anyway. Now my hand's cramping up. I've been up there for like 45 minutes playing like the same four chords on the guitar over and over again. And uh, I kind of like snuck back behind a guy that was playing a guitar too. And I pulled up my phone and I text Becca because Becca was at the event. And I said, take one for the team. (laughs) Hey, just come down just say you did it so that we can all go home. <laughs> Which is probably like not a good thing to do, but I was tired, it was really long. We'd been there for like a, like four hours. But, but sometimes you, you know, if, if it's something that's important to you, like going home and eating, you, you, you sacrifice, right? That's what I was trying to tell her. She wouldn't do it, but that's what I was trying to tell her. But in all seriousness, if something's important to us, we sacrifice for it, right? How important are your kids to you? How much have you given up for them? Everything, right? Is there anything you would not give up for your kids? No, you would lay down your life for your kids in a moment, just like that, right? Because you love them. When we love God, and we're focused on his mission, there's nothing we wouldn't give up for. It. A long day at work, you wanna go home and go to bed, rest, watch TV? The mission's making disciples, you'll sacrifice that. For this church at Antioch, as I'm reading this, it had to be hard for them to lose two very impactful spiritual leaders from within the church. Right? They're losing Paul and Barnabas. That had to be pretty scary for them, right? Because these are two very impactful people who helped get this church going And and now, here's God saying, "I'm going to send them away for my greater purpose, for for something to to build my kingdom." That had to be pretty overwhelming to them, because when you got a good thing going, you tend to want to ensure it doesn't get interrupted, right? When God's moving and, and He's growing this church at Antioch, and it says. Huge numbers, huge crowds of people are coming. They're coming to know Christ, but not only that, they're being discipled, they're being taught, they're being grown in Christ. And I can just only imagine that when the Holy Spirit comes in and says, "Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas," so that I can send them out. I can only imagine. There's got to be some people in the church. They're who like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" Can't you send them somebody else? Those are our boys. Oh, don't, don't interrupt. We got a good thing going. God, don't interrupt that. I know over the years, I've had a lot of students come you know, through the ministry and we invest. We we spend time, we try to disciple them, then we try to, you know, help them figure out what the, their calling in life is, whether it's worship or whatever, and they always leave us because they grow up and they want to move on to go do something else. And it's always hard because you, know, you kind of want to like, no, come back. I need you to help me continue this thing. We got, we got a good thing going. But at the same time, you know, man, God's got a big plan for this person's life. And if I get in the way of that, what, what kind of mess am I starting to cause? Because it's not about me. It's about his mission and about expanding his kingdom. And when that's our focus, then God is glorified. If I'm the object of my worship and it's about my mission, Man, I'd keep everybody here. I wouldn't let anybody leave. You'd all be stuck here forever. But it's not about me and my kingdom. It's about his mission. It's about building his kingdom. And so we rejoice when God moves someone to accomplish something great for him. Right, when God says, hey, I want you as a church to set apart so-and-so and -and 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 so-and-so because I want to send them out. To build my kingdom whether it's foreign missions or whether it's planning a church somewhere else man, mean that's something we should be getting excited about because God says hey your church is worthy enough to be used by me to expand that that mission to, to different parts of the world right there are places all over just even Southeast Texas you, when's the last time you drove down to deep Port Arthur right that place needs the gospel was the t- last time you drove down into downtown Beaumont? Needs the gospel. Orange needs the gospel. And there are churches everywhere, but there's a lot of churches in our area that aren't preaching the gospel. They're not pushing people to make disciples. They're just doing churches. So what if God called someone out of our church to say, hey, I want you to go here and start a mission there? Or I want you to go here and start a mission. Or what if God says, hey, I've got people in, in India or I've got people in Africa and they need the gospel and there's people within your church so that are ready to go and I'm calling them out, set them apart. We should never mourn that. We should rejoice that. These guys were sent out for the mission. Listen, we're all sent out for the mission. For some people, yeah, it's, it's Africa, it's India, it's... The Philippines, it's, it's the other most parts of the world, right? For some, it's right here in Nederland at Motiva, right? God is calling you to be sent out. He says, you are my ambassadors. Your job is to proclaim the good news of Christ, to represent Jesus in a way that makes people say, There's something different about that person I want to know what that's about. And you share the gospel and point them towards Jesus so that they can come to know Christ. And again, start to build that kingdom. That's what this is all about. The call is to go, to go. And it's not the call just for Julian and I, or Tammy, or any of the staff members. It's for you. That is your call on your life as a believer, is to make disciples. And listen to me, listen when I say this. If you're not doing that, you're not living in the will of God. You're not. You're not, and I, that's not me saying that. That's straight from Scripture. Jesus says, "Go, make disciples." And everybody wants to know what's the will of God for my life. What is God's will for my? I just want to know what God's will for my life is. It's make disciples. That's it. That's it. How simple is that? But yet we don't do it. How simple is it that God said, I have one mission for my church and that's to go make disciples, to build my kingdom, to advance it. And yet we constantly push back from that and say, no, 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 but but but, but I can start a Bible study. Or I, I can do this, I can do that. I can go to church, I can sing songs. That's all good. But the command is to go. The call is to Go. We've all been sent, just like Paul and Barnabas, to go and preach the gospel to anyone who will listen. That is our purpose. And it's for God, it's it's our reasonable act of worship. Right, Romans 12. Lay down your life, sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world. It's your reasonable act of worship. The mission is the same as Jesus. Luke 19 10 said, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's the call for your life too. That's the mission in your life too. Seek and save the lost. There are people that are dying without knowing Jesus and their eternal reality will be apart from God. And our calling as believers is to go back out and rescue as many people as we possibly can and point them to the rescuer who is Jesus. That's the call in your life. And so the, the question this morning is, one, are your affections focused on God? Right, are you worshiping him? Is it, is it all about him or is it about you? Because if it's all about him, then that leads you to that mission of making and maturing disciples for the gospel of Jesus. Are we doing it? I had someone ask me a great question the other day. We've been preaching through this book of Acts since like February. And as you read through Acts, there's like some really crazy stories, right? Where you see God moving in miraculous ways. And you you keep reading through and you're like, you know, thousands were added to their numbers that way that day. You know, lots of people were added, just constantly seeing people added to the church over and over and over and over again. People are being added to the church. And the question was this, why don't we see God move today quite like we've been reading about in Acts? Why does not God move like that anymore? I'm gonna be honest with you this morning, I think that the reason is the three reasons that we've talked about this morning. I think we have far more people consuming rather than doing their part to invest in someone else's spiritual growth. There's a joke among pastors that it's the 80-20 principle. 20% of the people do all the work. 20% of the people are actually giving while 80% are just consuming and coming. I think that's generous, actually. We have way too many people focused on their experience when they gather, rather than focusing on whether God was honored and blessed by their worship. And we have so many people that aren't living out their mission, so many people that have never made a disciple in their entire lives. have grown up in church for decades and yet have never Actually, share the gospel with one person. We're never going to be effective if we don't start doing that. We're not. We're never going to be effective until we start really focusing ourselves on God and pushing away from the table and choosing to invest in someone else and, and make disciples. Preach Christ, preach Christ crucified. It's not going to happen. I want to be part of a church that is effective for the advancement of the gospel so bad. I do. There's nothing else in life that I want more than that. I want to be a part of a church that takes this call to make disciples incredibly serious and wants to do nothing else with their life than to glorify God. That's what I want. And I pray to God that that's what you want too. I pray to God that, that you choose to be a church that is legitimately effective. Not just a church that has a bunch of people in the seats, but a church that's focused on reaching people for the gospel and discipling them when they come. I want our church to look like what we've been reading in Acts a church where the Lord's hand is with us, like we read about in the beginning. Do you? Do you really want that? If the answer to that question is yes, then what are we going to do to get there? What are we going to change? What are we going to do to get to that point? Those of us who have been in church for decades and never reached out for someone, what are you going to, what are you going to do to change? What are you going to do to start taking it seriously and, and advancing the gospel by making disciples? What's going to change when we walk out the doors today? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. What are we going to do this morning when we walk out these doors that's different from when we walked in them? Would you please stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? The challenge of this sermon is simple. Point your affections to God, worship him and him alone. Don't worship yourself, don't focus yourself. Don't make this about you, focus your heart on him. And allow that to dictate your mission in life, which is making maturing disciples because that's what Jesus said it was. And so if you're not doing either one of those two things, And the call is to repent. Acknowledge that you're not living out the will of God for your life and repent of that and allow God to change your heart. You can do that in your seat. Here in a moment, the band's going to sing. You can do it here at these altars as they sing. If you need to talk to someone, I'll be down front. Would love an opportunity to talk to you. Even really have a relationship with Jesus, much less this going disciples You're not... I'll be down here in front, would love to have a conversation with you. Thank you so much for listening today, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather grow, give, and go.